left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she kept sh- keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the, the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Now, this story is a little complicated to say the least, because what we've been taught our entire existence is is that Jesus is this divine being that never, ever makes a mistake, never says the wrong thing, never does the wrong thing, and yet here in this passage of Scripture, you hear a very human-esque version of Jesus. This is the story, and this bold woman who comes to draw a cup of, for lack of a better phrase, exorcism, from the mercy that Paul talks about in his epistle lesson in Romans. This nameless woman appears and comes to him and calls him son of David. Have mercy on me. And she expresses this need. My daughter has a demon. Yet in the midst of it, she encounters the silence of Christ as he almost as if he's ignoring her because she's a Canaanite woman. The disciples, you know, the real men here. The speech, Jesus, to drive her off with harsh words or worse. And yes, Jesus seems to favor the silent treatment. And he even names the boundaries that keep her on the outside. (laughs) Now, let's be honest. A lot of us would not have been able to handle that type of treatment. And we probably would have walked away from this Jesus guy at that exact moment. But not this one. No. She persists and gains her objective, the healing of her daughter. And the disciples, well, they learn a valuable lesson of faith. There's a problem with this story in the way that Jesus speaks to the Canaanite woman. But you have to hear verses 10 through 20 in order for it to make sense. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Well, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Then he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds 
from the heart. And this, this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. You know, see, at the beginning, at the very first glance of this, you think that there's a dispute over ritual washing. You see, we're looking outside in, looking at this conversation. Obviously, somebody's mad because they didn't wash their hands before they came to eat. Does this sound familiar? In my Sunday school class, I was talking about the fact that my grandpa would talk about how they worked on the farm all day long and they were covered head to toe in mud and dirt and grease. But by God, their hands were clean before they reached for that table. Or my grandma Bell would slap them upside the head with a stick. You can see the conversation that's happening here between the disciples and the Gentiles and the Jews that are all standing here with Jesus, and he's talking to them about another Jewish tradition, about dietary law. Be careful what you eat, because whatever you eat, what comes out of your mouth could be poisonous. Whatever comes out of your mouth defiles. In essence, the pietists of Jesus' day challenge with something like, well, if you and your disciples are so religious, why don't you observe the pious tradition we follow of washing the hands before eating? And Jesus says, just because I didn't wash my hands doesn't make me less of a person. It doesn't defile me. We may assume that there's obviously tensions in Matthew's church over lifestyle questions, just as there is the church at Rome, where Gentile Christians were learning to coexist with Christian Jews and of all different various persuasions. And it speaks absolutely to us today. It reminds us that we too can be guilty of placing the tradition of a, ahead of God's moral will. Like the phrases, the local tradition might say like, well, we've never done it this way before. Or it's wicked step person, it's never been done that way before. Well, guess what, folks? In the 21st century, as of August 16th, 2020, nothing has ever been done this way before. We have nothing to relate it to. We have no way to say that this part of our tradition is exactly the way we've done it 15 years ago, or let's be honest, seven months ago. Nothing that we do today is exactly the way it was seven months ago. And praise God for that. But there are bits and pieces of who we are as the Christian church disciples of Christ that transcend the understanding of time. Those traditional things that we declare as who we are Regardless of how the world opens and closes and has arguments and does this and that, we still know that we have the table that we can come to, regardless of where we are in our life. That this table is open and welcoming. It's a healing balm in the existence of the storms of our life. And likewise, we know that we have the ability to pray. We don't have to be 
physically and present to be praying. We can pray from anywhere. Now, the one that's always a little uncomfortable and it always makes me chuckle a little bit is as people say, yes, Josh, but we can't sing hymns by ourselves." And the answer is, yes, you can. You do it every time you turn the radio on in your car. And I see you on the streets jamming along, singing. No one's in the car. And you can tell that they're karaokeing, hopefully, as they're going along. And you can sing hymns to God anywhere, anytime, because I've seen you do it in your own cars. Amen. She's, she's getting ahead. She knows what's coming next. Next, So we have this understanding that in the aspect of tradition, there's basic ideas of our faith that have nothing to do with the religion of Christianity, right? Sometimes ecclesiastical tradition can square off against the cooperation that takes place between humans on a daily basis. So it makes us ask the question, what family traditions do you, have, do you observe as a child? Maybe something that you still observe as a when you did as a child. Maybe it's something that you hope to carry on to the next generation. Like what family tradition, let's be honest about this, would you rather not have passed on to succeeding generations? Now because we're online, I'm going to leave the names off. But you know there's that family tradition of the fruitcake. The fruitcake that was so awesome, so amazing, as we blew it up. We took chainsaws to chuck, cut it and slice it. You know, the, the fruitcakes that would come in the mail in the cardboard box and you would open it up and go, oh, goody. Those are traditions that I'm hoping that I do not pass on, but it is something that my brother's and sisters and I all looked forward to, even if it was just the act of what it meant. There are traditions that we have in our own life that we wish that we never brought with us. Then we have to ask the question, after we talk about our personality, what are traditions in our church that might make it difficult for new people to feel at home here? I mean, ultimately, this gospel lesson is talking about a tradition. Now, I'm going to challenge you for a second. I need you to take a deep breath. Part of the problem that we have with this gospel lesson is, is we always leave out the conversation that the Canaanite woman has with Jesus. At the very beginning, in 10 verses 20, he has this conversation about dietary law and the washing of hands and he says be careful what you eat because what can come out can be poison and here comes a Canaanite woman begging for healing and Jesus doesn't say anything to her he ignores her because in the tradition a Jewish man would not be able to speak to another woman especially another woman that wasn't Jewish in Jesus' remark here, he is living his full Jewish life. And Jesus doesn't do that in the gospel. But in this passage, he does. And then he takes it another step further. He still ignores her as she's pleading to him and the disciples. Because, let's face it, if they're going to try to look good, they're going to do it now. They're like, look, Jesus, you need to send her off with harsh words. And he's like, listen. I only came to save the house of Israel. Another moment 
that we don't necessarily hear from Jesus. And then she pleads again, and he says, how can I give, uh, how, I can't take the food from the children on the table and give it to the dogs. He calls the woman a dog. Did you all catch that? And then she says, yes, but even the crumbs on the floor, even the crumbs, I would even eat the crumbs off that table. And it's all of a sudden Jesus like wakes up and says, woman, your faith has made you well. And instantly her daughter was healed. This is a weird text. In the Gospel of Mark, you hear this moment where Jesus tries to heal somebody and he has to do it twice because he doesn't get it right the first time. You remember he's blind. He says, put dirt on your eyes. He rubs the dirt on his eyes. He washes it off. Can you see anything? I see shadows. I see trees. I see Im images of stuff. So Jesus puts more dirt on his face and spits in his face, and then the guy can see. I mean, I would hope so. It would really stink uh, the story that Jesus just spits in his face, and the guy walks away seeing shadows. But in this moment, Jesus is awakened by the Canaanite woman, who is not a part of his tradition and she welcomes him. Do you catch that story? But how often do we as church do the same? We put the tradition in front of the connection, in front of the relationship with others. How often do we say, well, you know, in order for that to happen, well, you got to do this, 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 and this. Now, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of uh, education on how we do things, but it's it's the aspect of allowing people to participate as they feel called. There's a great author by the name of Thomas Hall. My, my preaching professor, Dr. Ward, uh, got me really stuck on him. And, and he writes this little passage that I wanted to share with you. He, he asks the question, do we give God lip service as Jesus proclaims the Pharisees Claims the Pharisees and scribes do. Do we say the right words on Sunday morning, but somehow never concern ourselves with their intent and with the carrying the action of those words out in our lives? That's what God asks us this morning. He quotes Frederick Buckner by saying, There is no book to look up the answer, there is only your heart. And whatever by God's grace it has picked up the way of insight. Honesty, courage, yeah, courage as a Christian, that's a crazy concept, and humility. Oh, sorry, we can't have that. We're all out of that today. And maybe above everything else, and maybe, as Frederick Buckner would say, compassion. Tom then tells this story that I wanted to share with you. He says, the church where my wife attended as a high schooler was a nice, neat, professional type of club. They sang their hymns in an orderly way. They knew when to stand and sit. They laughed politely. Then one Sunday, all heck broke loose. Some thought two or three shirtless, shoeless guys walked into their quiet little church, and how dare they get saved. And to make matters worse, they didn't just sit quietly in the back, you know, with the rest of the heathens. They walked to the front of the sanctuary, 
they sat in the very front pew, and they sat there audacitously, week after week, with their mammoth-sized Thompson chain Bibles. Have you guys ever seen them? They're huge. They weigh like 40 pounds. And they scribbled notes in their margins, and they sang too enthusiastically, and even said, at the certain points of agreement during the pastor's sermon. So what happened? Well, they brought their long-haired, loud music, rock and roll friends with them, and soon a youth rockin' youth choir was formed. They began to sing every Sunday night. Then something began to happen slowly at first, you see. Little by little, the congregation in the back pews began to move an inch forward. Now, don't misunderstand me. None of the older adults grew their hair long and, 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 and wore love beads. But still, things gradually began to open up and the church began to grow. They grew out of doing things in the same way that they were used to. Grew in number until the congregation had to move to a larger building. But most important, I think, was that the congregation rediscovered that the important thing is to love God and to live out the gospel. So that church survived the crisis of that summer, in large part because they could discern for themselves between what was tradition and what was tradition. Now, he, he talks about this moment, which I think was really fascinating. He says, I close with a confession from a cyberspace Christian you know, because, let's be honest, they're all anonymous anyway. We don't know who they are. He says, I don't know his name, but I understood what he was saying when he said these words. I've been a disciple for 50 years. I was brought up in a very strict tradition. I've taught all of the old arguments for many years, yet I've recently discovered God's love. And I can assure you that I've begun to breathe the fresh air of freedom in Christ. I think in this moment it sounds like he discovered that there's more to faith than washing hands before eating. Maybe it's something like what Henry David Thoreau would have said, any fool can make a rule. To which we might add, only God can give life. So what is it that's keeping us breaking out of the tradition. How could you change the things that we live, that we do, and live to tell about it? Maybe there's something in our life today that we need to change in order to get our heart and mouth more in line with each other. Maybe we just need to keep asking Jesus to help us, even when we know God's already heard our beckoning call. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're the Canaanite woman. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.